This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 277. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined this evening by Mr. Matthew Marister. What is up, dude? Hey, man. It's good to be here. <laughs> I'm glad to have you. And, and this is, uh, I, I, I've really asked you to go the extra mile today because uh, it's what, 12, 12 a.m. Yeah, 12, Eastern, 12. Eastern time. Sorry, yeah, but it's bro. cool. It's, it's it's a Friday night, you know. I, I can extend my bedtime a little bit. You're off by one day. Oh no! It, yeah, it's Friday right now. It's Thursday night, Friday morning. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that, it, it is I, Friday, I and it is night for you. <laughs> it's just not Friday night. Right? No, no. It's Friday morning. Well, it could be Friday night. I mean, it's nighttime and it's Friday. Technically. Nice. Oh boy. All right. So, uh, folks, uh, thanks for being patient with us, uh, getting the podcast out this week. Uh, we're a little late. Uh, I know I feel like I'm t- making up some excuse every week, every episode, but, uh, we're actually, we're just, there's just so much going on and we're kind of in a bit of a transition period too, because, uh, we're on the backside of our big complete home defense course launch, uh, Black Friday. Uh, we got some really exciting stuff coming up. Uh, we have a 12 Days of Christmas giveaway coming up. It's going to be really exciting. I'm not going to spill all the details. I'll tease it a little bit here in just a minute, but you're going to be really excited about that. And what else? Uh, oh, and we're testing out and trying a new software uh, for doing the podcast and still you know, being able to record a quality show each episode, but also improve our game on the video side of things. So those of you that like to participate on Facebook and whatnot, and, and hopefully this new technology, if it, if it works, like I think it will. And if we like it, like I think we will. And if I learn how to operate it, like I think I will, then, uh, we may also be bringing this to YouTube very soon and Facebook both. Boom. So if you prefer YouTube over the over the book of faces, uh, <laughs> then that I hope will be coming to the podcast, to the live version, to the video version very soon. So that'll be really exciting. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by actually our coming up twelve days of Christmas uh, giveaway, and actually more specifically, it's brought to you by our concealed carry gun tools app. Because let me give you a little the, the down and dirty. Those of you hearing this right now are hearing it a little bit early, but we are going to be doing 12 days of awesome giveaways. Minimum value is like 100 or 150 bucks, and we got some prizes that are like a thousand dollars. We've partnered up with companies like Crossbreed Holsters, Stealth Gear USA, uh, Sports Field Safes. Um, Pig Lube is is doing a year's supply, and we, I don't even know if we know what that means. But they're going to give <laughs> lucky winner a crap load of lube and uh, uh, Pig Lube cleaner, the the solvent that's really great, and uh, a cleaning kit and all kinds of stuff. And then there's all kinds of other really 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 cool stuff. There's a there's a lights package, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, handheld light, weapon mounted light, some other light. I mean, like three hundred dollars worth of lights or something. I mean, it's a lot of lights. Uh, so there's just some really cool stuff in this giveaway, but here's how it's going to work. 
you guys need to make sure you have the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app on your phone or mobile device. So if you don't already have our app on your phone or Android or uh, mobile device or whatever, then you know, and it's available for iPhones as well as Android devices. Uh, if you don't have it already, well, you're missing out because it's a really cool app. Uh, but that's how you're gonna have you're gonna have to have that app downloaded on your phone to be able to sign up on a daily basis for a chance to win these awesome giveaway prizes each of these 12 days. Now, the giveaway uh, starts on the 12 days of Christmas. Giveaway starts on, I think, the 9th or maybe it's the 10th. I'm doing my math. I think it's the 9th. So, it's somewhere around there. All right. Sorry, guys. We're still working on some of the details. So just know you'll be hearing about this for a couple more episodes, and, and it'll get a little bit more uh, rock solid as as we as the days go on here. But uh, I believe it starts on the 9th of December. goes for 12 days. Every day we're giving away a really, really awesome prize. Maybe that's, maybe what it is, Matthew, is I think sign-ups start on the 9th, and I think our first prize is given away on the 10th. Correct. That's what it is. So, uh, But you got to have the app because what's going to happen is each day, if you have the app on your phone, you're going to get a notification saying, basically with a link, where you can go and get signed up for that day's giveaway. So if you don't have the app, you're not going to get the notification, and you're not going to get a chance to sign up. And I have a suspicion, Matthew, that if folks will just do this every day, if they will sign up for the giveaway every day, they are going to have a high chance of, of eventually winning one of these great prizes. Oh yeah, I'd like to think that we will have like thousands and thousands of people signing up, but I, truth be told, it's probably only going to be a few. Okay, maybe hopefully more than a few. A few, all right. So your chances of winning something awesome are really, really, really great, and this is just a, a cool way of of bringing in the holidays and having a fun time, and and uh, also expressing our thanks to all of you. So, go yeah. to the. Oh, and Marky is asking here on Facebook, how much is the app? The app, the, the app is free. That's the cool thing. I don't know if people realize this. We have so much stuff built into the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. It's and it's all in there, and it's all free. There's no upgrade option. There's no hey, pay us two ninety nine and you get access to these special features. It is free, one hundred percent free, all the time, mm-hmm. always yeah. will be, because we have no intention of ever charging for that app. Yeah, and there's no ads that pop up, and you know. That, that that's so annoying you know you're trying to use your app and some crazy video pops up and you're like what the heck is this yep yep exactly so uh yeah there's yeah no ads no charge to use the app free app free download um uh, we've got the reciprocity map builder tool in there we've got a training tracker we have drills in there we have what else? We got laws. We have uh, you know law, law summaries for all the different fifty states. We've got a uh, firearm business. We have basically a gun business uh, ma- uh, directory. You can go in there. You can find your local gun dealers, shops, gunsmiths, ranges. You can even look up gun free zones. The app is awesome, and it's getting better all the time. We have a full time developer constantly working on that and trying to make it better so so just know that if there is something that doesn't quite work the way you'd like it to or there needs to be a tweak well send us feedback um, don't go to the app store and like you know give us one star ratings okay that's not cool just send us, <laughs> just send us an email to support at concealedcarry.com and say hey uh, goobers your app's not working and uh, and 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 you know fix it and we'll do our best our, our developer's a really great guy he'll get on it right away and then go to the app store and leave us or the play store and leave us a five star review because that'd be awesome <laughs> I know I'm trying to bribe you guys. All right, so make sure you're you're getting the, the app now. 
uh, because here in about 10 days, well, less or a little more than 10 days, that giveaway is going to start and you're going to get notified through the app uh, to where you can get signed up for the giveaways. All right. So that's all I got to say about that. Let's jump now into today's episode, Matthew. And it's been a couple of weeks because of the holidays and different things going on, but we haven't had Andrew Branca's Law of Self-Defense in a couple of weeks. And so today, Andrew brings us another great case. So listen to this one. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This Case of the Week comes out of a very brief four-paragraph news story out of Illinois that I came across a few days ago involving a defendant acquitted in a bench trial on several felony charges after he stabbed someone 10 times with a two and a half inch knife during a road rage incident. And I saw that this short article conveniently provided a good basis for discussing several interesting legal points that often arise in cases of self-defense. So let's hit those here. One is the fact that it was a bench trial. So bench trial versus jury trial, which do you choose? First, the choice of a bench trial in this case. This is a trial without a jury in which the trial judge plays the role of both the judge and the finder of fact, which is normally the jury's role. The legal cliche is that if you're guilty, you want a jury trial in the hopes that your defense attorney can use theatrics and rhetoric to create a reasonable doubt in the mind of at least one juror that keeps you from being convicted. And if you're innocent, you want a bench trial in the expectation that the prosecution won't be able to similarly emotionally influence a judge. It's perhaps more true that if you're a defendant in a case in which the evidence suggests both that you're likely within the bounds of the law, but also creates some graphically unpleasant perceptions. In this particular case, the relatively high number of stab wounds, 10 in all, and the undoubtedly gruesome wounds and photographic evidence they produced, it might be best to go with a bench trial in the expectation that the judge will rigorously apply the rule of law to the evidence and not be improperly swayed by gruesome evidence the way a jury might be. So, for a defendant who has stabbed someone 10 times and is claiming self-defense, going with a bench trial is probably the smart move, assuming, of course, that the evidence is largely consistent with the technical requirements of a self-defense claim. The other issue this news story touched upon was the fact that it's always better when the fight comes to you rather than you going to the fight. So in this instance, there was a road rage event in which both men pulled over in their cars, but only the victim, meaning, of course, the aggressor who got stabbed by the defendant, got out of his car and closed on the defendant who remained in his vehicle. If you're planning to claim self-defense, it always looks better if the fight comes to you rather than you going to the fight. That's what the defendant accomplished here by staying in his vehicle. That said, there may well be tactical benefits to exiting the vehicle and perhaps moving to the rear of the vehicle so you place it between you and the advancing bad guy, in which case he's still the one coming to the fight. Or there may not be tactical advantages. It really all depends on the specific facts of the case, and that's a judgment call only the defender can make in the moment. 
based on the totality of the circumstances. But hopefully, they can make that tactical decision in a way that's well-informed, understanding the likely legal implications of their decision. A third facet of this case was that the other fellow, the aggressor, was wildly drunk and the defender was sober. It turns out the victim, again the aggressor in this fight, was wildly drunk with a blood alcohol level that was nearly twice the legal limit. In contrast, there was no evidence that the defendant was intoxicated at all. Well, what if the defendant had been drunk as well? It's true that you don't lose any of your rights of self-defense merely because you've had a few drinks. You had all the rights you had when you were sober. But that said, if you make bad decisions in self-defense because you're drunk, that's on you. And it's not unreasonable for a jury to infer bad decision-making from a state of intoxication. And I'm sure the prosecutor would have made that argument here against the defendant if he could have. Instead, it was the defense lawyers who got to point out the blood alcohol content of the aggressor and suggest the jury infer bad decisions by the aggressor as a consequence of his intoxication. A fourth facet of this case that was interesting was the choice of weapon and how it can drive perceptions of self-defense. In this case, the relatively modest length of the knife used by the defendant, two and a half inches. Strictly speaking, if the conditions for deadly defensive force have been met, it shouldn't matter, legally speaking, how big the knife is used in self-defense. Nevertheless, a jury is likely to have quite a different perception of a two and a half inch knife on the one hand. Some of those jurors might think, hey, I carry one of those myself, clipped in my pocket. And a 10 inch Rambo style knife on the other hand. The latter is clearly more aggressive in appearance than the former. It should also be noted that even a modestly sized knife can be a devastating defensive weapon if properly used. In this particular case, it does not appear that the defendant was properly trained in the effective use of a two and a half inch knife, as indicated by his perceived need for the repeated stabbing of the victim. And that's unfortunate because the 10 stab wounds begin to look like an act of rage rather than an act of self-defense. A defender who'd been trained in, for example, Michael Janich's Martial Blade Concepts School of Defensive Knife Use, and you can find a link to that in the text of this news update, Case of the Week. A defender trained in that Martial Blades Concepts School of Defensive Knife Use would have been likely far more efficient in the use of that two-and-a-half-inch knife for defensive purposes, resulting in a quicker stop of the attack with the additional benefit of fewer gruesome injuries to the victim. All right, folks, that's about all even I can pull out of a four-paragraph local news story. As usual, I trust you found it in informative. You carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. All right, uh, let's get into some news stories, shall we, Matthew? First story, uh, we obviously a lot of folks are expecting us to talk about the uh, shooting at the Alabama Mall, Jefferson County, Alabama. Um, <clears throat> it's been all over the news for the last almost week, pretty much. Actually, it has been the week because it was a week. It was it was Thanksgiving night. That was a week ago. So basically, if you if if for some reason you've been li- living under a rock 
and uh, which is entirely you know plausible because <laughs> folks took time off for Thanksgiving and maybe they're not you know looking at their phones or updates or news or whatever. But a week ago tonight at a at a mall called uh, River Chase Galleria, uh, some pre Black Friday shopping was going on at this mall. An 18 year old and a 12 year old, an 18 year old boy, and I think it was a 12 year old girl. I think it was. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Matthew. Uh, but uh, an 18 year old and 12 year old were both shot now and, and seriously injured, but they're okay and they're on their way to recovery, from what we know. Um, of course, then what happened was, and actually, initially it was talked about as it, as though it was law enforcement that was responding, and it come to find out what it was is two security guards working in the mall. Uh, working as security guards, but they were both uh, off-duty cops. So they were close by. They were, you know, somewhere nearby in the mall. They responded to the scene, and what they witnessed was 21-year-old Emantic Fitzgerald E.J. Bradford, he goes by E.J., uh, running away from the scene with a gun in his hand. And so, you know, you can kind of see how that looks, how it might look. Uh, you know, you are right there in, you know, within seconds and you see a man running away with a gun. Well, you might assume that that's the bad guy. Um, it's a little unclear still exactly how that went place. I saw another story where it seemed to suggest that these off duty police officer security guards, uh, you know, initially gave some commands, but there wasn't enough compliance or quick enough compliance or something. And they, one of them proceeded to, uh, fire shots and then they shot and killed EJ Bradford. Of course, this has turned into a huge fiasco. Uh, many, many folks saying this is a racial, uh, you know, incident that it, that they shot him because they assumed he's a bad guy because he was black. And that these cops, well, actually, we don't even really know who the cops are. It's assumed that they're white, which is kind of ironic, I think, Matthew. They could actually be some other race entirely. They could be black themselves. One of them could be black. Um, so, yeah, because, I mean, they're, they're keeping the identity of those guys, you know, quiet for right now. Right? So we don't even know who did the shooting. But uh, it's probably assumed that, that they're white. All right? We can run with that assumption. Was this a racial thing? I don't think so necessarily. Because... We had a white guy, uh, military veteran, right here in the Denver, Colorado area, actually and specifically in Aurora, who was shot and killed in his own home because he was mistaken as a bad guy by two cops. There's, and, of course, you can go back. I don't remember what episode it was, but you can go back and listen to that episode again. Uh, many, many, many lessons to be learned from these types of these things. These are unfortunate. They're also extremely rare. right? Now the media would have you believe and many others, Matthew, uh, that because of this happening the way it did, you know, that they would have you believe that this sort of thing happens all the time, <laughs> and that this is this is the the risk and this is the danger of having armed citizens out there in the streets. The irony about that, though, is that this guy supposedly, from what we can tell. There's still so many details that have to be worked out, but as far as we know, E.J. Bradford. It does say that he was involved in the altercation somehow. They just haven't said exactly how. And that could have just been that he was involved from a defensive standpoint. It would seem, based on some stories that are out there, has yet to be con 
you know, entirely corroborated, but it would seem that he was dr- likely drawing his gun in self-defense and trying to save lives, and that he may very well have saved lives. And so those that are, you know, saying how, well, we shouldn't be allowing civilians to carry guns out in public. And, you know, this is, this is exactly what would happen is that we'd have things would turn into wild, wild west, uh, you know, and then you got good guys shooting good guys. And thus we shouldn't, we shouldn't allow this to, to be the case, but they aren't, but they're completely missing the fact that this guy might have saved lives by the fact that he was armed. The, the unfortunate thing is that when we carry a gun, for self-defense, whether it's our our own self-defense or the defense of someone else, it is a risk for us to carry that gun, and it's a responsibility that we have to accept. Now, I talked in the last episode, two seventy six, um, which was a playback of an interview from the USCCA Expo with um, Derek Poole and Barrett Kendrick, and I, I kind of gave some some additional thoughts in there. You might want to go back and listen to that if you if you missed it. Uh, as far as some some strategies, some things you might want to be thinking about that might I, I really truly believe would increase your odds of surviving this sort of event without getting shot by a good guy. Um, and there's probably other things that I actually intend at some point to go. And once we know more facts about this mall shooting, I intend to go really deep on this one and really talk about this. So you be expecting a special episode talking about you know and really breaking down this entire this entire mall shooting. So um, anyway, there's some exciting breaking news on this incident. Uh, but Matthew, I, I, I've been you know blabbing on forever. So uh, what thoughts do you have, brother? No, I mean like usual, I, I you know I echo a lot of the same things uh, you say. One, one thing that uh, Sean says is that off-duty uh, police are just as likely to be mistaken, um, you know, if they're off-duty, if they're plain clothes or or working a special detail like that. And that's true, you know. Um, but these incidences of, you know, kind of like uh, friendly fire incidences or things like that, um, they're, they're the exception and not the rule. And um, it doesn't diminish the tragedy of that. Um, but you can't like, you know, the saying, like throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's like, um, we have to do the best we can to make sure that we're doing everything we can to portray ourselves as the good guy with the gun. So we're not mistaken, but humans are fallible creatures and, 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 you know, mistakes will happen no, no matter what. And so, you know, like I said, I don't want to diminish the tragedy that happened, um, but we still don't know exactly what happened. We, we, sh- we really shouldn't jump to conclusions on anything like this um, until we see what happened. I mean, who knows? We, we don't know exactly what was said, what commands were given. And it could seem like right now that, you know, it's just a good guy and the cop came up and saw a guy with a gun and shot him. Or it could be like that he was giving him commands and the guy didn't respond because he was zoned in on something else. So we don't really know if this is a true like – there was nothing that we could have done to prevent this or if there were mistakes made. We yeah. just don't know. And so um, it, I it's think too early to know that and yeah, folks it, are jumping to conclusions. Yeah. And that's, you know, typical. Um, but I just think like we have to always analyze like you and I and, and the listeners and stuff. We go over these cases all the time and, and we, we analyze these things and and uh, we know that this is the exception. But we, there, there are lessons on every single 
event that happens in, in how we can better prepare ourselves. And like you said, it's all about preparation. We prepare our minds to be, you know, vigilant about what's going on. We prepare our, our training and everything. But how often do people actually train or think about, okay, how can I look less aggressive or how can I make sure that I'm the person that's, you know, seen as the good guy with the gun? Um, and there's absolutely a curriculum that you could teach and learn to better be better prepared for that. So I think if you're not doing both, then, you know, we just open ourselves up or there's a higher probability of something like this happening. So, um, yeah, I, we just gotta, we, we gotta do better. We gotta do our best and, and know that it's never going to be a hundred percent, but we got to get as close as we can. Yep. Yeah. Good thoughts, man. So, uh, the exciting, you know, breaking news is, and I say it's exciting because it is, because for several days now, actually for a week, we've been told that, uh, you know, initially there was this confusion that this guy that they shot, EJ Bradford, unfortunately, uh, that he, they thought he was the bad guy initially. That, that's what was reported. And you know what? That's kind of, that's actually understandable. Uh, you're responding to an active situation. You see man running away with gun in hand. Perhaps you give him commands because even that point is still a little bit unclear. He doesn't comply. You shoot. He dies. You're thinking at that moment, we got him. This was the, you know, we have two other people over here that are shot laying on the ground that we, you know, that could very well die. And we have this other guy that clearly had a gun in his hand and we just shot him and he's down. And it's, you know, a number of hours later or sometime later anyway that they go, oh, hey, actually the actual shooter is still out there somewhere. Well, what was just reported uh, earlier today uh, is that authorities have captured the person they believe that fired those shots. Uh, he was captured in, uh, I think it said it was Georgia. Yeah, yes, Fran- family's home, Georgia, huh? South Fulton County. Uh, he was uh, apparently he had he had he had escaped um, out to Georgia there and was staying at a relative's home. Uh, police were able to track him down and catch up with him, and he is now in custody and will be extradited back to Alabama. Wow. Yeah, so I'm glad they caught him. You know, that's 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 a way better thing than you know still wondering if he's still out there or where he is, and if you know, even if they even knew who he was. Uh, clearly, it seems like they they figured out who he was and they were able to track him down. Yeah, awesome work. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, good stuff there. Let's, uh, like I said, we will do more on this story later. You know, some in a future in a future episode of the podcast. Uh, but for now, we're going to go ahead and move on. We got a bunch more stories we got to talk about. And we have you know very little time to do that. So uh, first up here, I've got a story from SiouxCityJournal.com. Title is "Fake or Real? Sioux City Police Prosecutors Seek Crackdown on Use of Lookalike Guns." Now, I'm going to preface this, Matthew. I don't want the, the focus of this story to, I mean, like, this is just a, a, a relatively small police department. I say relatively small, small compared to, you know, obviously other major cities. It's, it's Sioux City after all, but, uh, they are cracking down on airsoft and BB guns that look alike, you know, that look like real guns that oftentimes are used in crimes, quite often are used in crimes by juveniles, but, but also others as well. And so they're cracking down because they have an ordinance that, you know, there's, they have some specific ordinances about, uh, the laws, uh, with those, uh, uh, you know, BB guns and airsoft guns and whatnot. Um, I don't really care about that story as far as that. I wanted to talk about this because 
this brings up a really interesting conversation, I think, Matthew. And the, and the conversation or the question I think that needs to be asked is, is a, it's a hypothetical. What if you are in a situation, you are being robbed by a person and they display a weapon, at least it, it looks like a weapon. So actually it's two questions. Number one, do you think that you can recognize that fake weapon for what it is, right? Do, mm-hmm. do you think that you, that you will recognize it for what it is, or will, or will you just perceive that that is a gun and thus cause you to use deadly force? And secondary to that, and it's very closely related, is if if you actually recognize that it's a fake gun, what do you do? How do you handle that situation? That's what I want yeah. this conversation to be about. And I think that's an awesome conversation and something that this law doesn't address, right? Um, it, it, it's kind of assumes that if we just pass an ordinance banning toy guns that everything will go away, but it's not. Um, and here's the thing. Your questions are awesome because, first of all, let's let's surmise that you can tell a difference. That we all know that there are toy guns that look extremely real, and then there are toy guns that look like toy guns but are real. So at this at, at the moment that you're making this observation, you have to take the totality of everything that's going on. Is this person, you know, um, coming out of an airsoft store and just kind of like pointing it and like playing around? And you're like, okay, it's most likely an airsoft gun. Um, or is this something where somebody's coming up to you and trying to rob you? Um, I think you know you have to make the split second decision, and I. I, I know there's people that say, like, you assume every single gun is real. And and I get that because, you know, y- you don't want to gamble. It's not you're not you're gambling with your life. If you if you say, well, I'm going to give it a you know a few more minutes to kind of decide if it's real or not. So you automatically assume everything's real. But to your second question, what if you know it's it's fake? What if, you know, you know that there are fake guns that look like fake guns, but are real. And but you realize that this is a fake gun. Um, and you use deadly force anyways. I think if that, if those facts come out in court, um, or, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a, a problem in court specifically if you knew that gun w- was false because your whole, uh, your whole basis of using deadly force is based on the fact that this person is going to use, cause death or serious bodily harm. And if you know that that weapon cannot cause death or serious bodily harm, then why are you using deadly force? Um, and even if, let's say, they can't prove it, right? But you knew in in your mind, you knew that that was a toy um, and you shot the person and, you know, there's just not enough evidence to prove that you knew it. That's something you got to live with your whole life. And I think that's probably worse than anything that would come from through court. I think knowing that you didn't have to shoot this person, but you chose to do it anyways under the guise of like, well, I assume everything's real and that guy shouldn't have been playing around with the toy. That's something that you got to live with. So I think, you know, it kind of goes back to you don't want to have to shoot anybody. Um, you kind of err on the side of caution, obviously, because you don't know if that's real or not. But if you know it's it's fake or or, or the circumstances are pointing you to, you know, that, that it is a, a probably more, much more likely than not that it is fake, then, you know, I, I think you might want to ease up and, and give it that second thought. Um, but, you know, it, it, everybody's got to make that decision on their own. 
So that's that's kind of like where I stand with this. And I, I the, the, this the link I put to the article, it's an older article that happened earlier in the year, um, but it, it gave more in uh, more substance to why this ordinance was passed in Sioux City. And um, because the, the articles just said this ordinance passed and and there was nothing really about it. So this this kind of I. I talks about why that they wanted to institute this ordinance and what they hope to get out of it. Um, you know, so, um, that's why this, it's a little bit older story, but it's still relevant because they just passed the ordinance or agreed on it for the, I think it's the third time or something. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. There's a comment here from, uh, Marky and he says, if they're using the toy gun in, in an act as if it's a, if it, as if it's real, they should be able to be shot in a robbery situation. He follows up with, um, I don't, you know, and I think you kind of touched on this, Matthew. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, as far as, I mean, we have to look at it from a reasonable reasonableness standard, right? As, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Brink would talk about, talk about reasonableness. Well, looking at the situation and obviously some of these situations develop so quickly, you, all you know is you see what clearly looks like a gun get drawn out and pointed at you, uh, I think in most situations it would be reasonable to, including to a court, to a jury that, oh, hey, that looked like a gun. I thought mm-hmm. it was a gun. I therefore had fear for my life, so I used deadly force in return and shot him and killed the poor kid and after the fact learned that it was just an airsoft gun, right? And so, like... Yeah, that and and Marky now is he's following up with if if you're thinking it's real that that that, that is the point. So yeah, I, I have I'm, seen some comments in some other forums elsewhere where people are like, well, yeah, if if they're doing that, well, of course they they deserve to die. And it's like no, right. nobody deserves to die because right. they're using a toy gun. Like yeah. that that's a stupid statement. But it, it comes down to that reasonableness standard. It, and in what you perceived in that moment, and is that considered to be reasonable? And I think in most situations, because I've seen it in, in several cases where deadly force was used, including by officers and also by, by civilians, where they used deadly force against a person that was carrying a fake gun, sometimes mm-hmm. a water pistol. Yeah. And it's usually found to be reasonable. Right. But, but imagine, you know, you're getting robbed and, you know, they, they hit the mag release and it drops out a plastic, obviously plastic mag and it, you know, uh, airsoft pellets go you know, bouncing all over you, you, at that point, if you shoot that person, now there's physical evidence that's, that's going to, you know, they could probably say like, dude, I mean, uh, you're a gun owner, you know, what bullets look like, you know, like it looks like a real gun, but at the time that the magazine fell out and BBs are, you know, rolling around, was it safe to assume that, you know, it was more of an airsoft gun and yeah, I know an airsoft gun can, you know, shoot you in the eye and cause it, but you know, was it reasonable that you used deadly force at that point? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But it, it's certainly trending towards the side of like maybe not deadly force, lethal force. You know, um, maybe something else is appropriate. So, yep. But you know, you got to make that split second decision. That's right. So that's right. So anyway, I I thought that was an interesting story just to talk about. To it's a great opportunity to talk about this sort of thing. This is a this would be something good to be doing some thinking on as concealed carriers and some kind of mental rehearsals of sorts. Like, okay, imagine yourself being in a situation like this and how would you handle that? Uh, it was also mentioned by another uh, viewer that, uh, you know, empty, empty hand skills or going hands on or, or using hand to hand skills, uh, whatever you want to call them. Um, uh, you know, it would be a, a good skill to have as well. 
And that's certainly true. But some, a caution there, right? Like this is, this, this is clearly dependent on you knowing that that gun is fake and therefore knowing that you're not at risk of being, you know, hurt or killed. Um, if you're wrong in that judgment call, well, going hands on or trying to then, then draw a gun on a drawn gun, like you're, you're probably going to lose that battle. Um, and by the way, to, to that point, and I think it was Sean also that mentioned something about, uh, uh, you know, drawing on, yeah, he says, but drawing on a drawn gun might tell a tale. We have a story actually about drawing on a drawn gun that is going to be interesting here later in the episode. So stay mm-hmm. tuned for that. I, I, I'm looking forward to talking about that story as well. From Amaland.com, uh, National Concealed Handgun Carry Reciprocity, last chance to act. We can't spend too much time on this, but just know this. Almost a year ago, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the National Reciprocity Act, the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act of 2017. That was passed on like December 6th of 2017. It has been sitting in the Senate's hands for almost a year. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he is who controls a lot of what happens in the Senate as far as what's prioritized, what's brought up to votes, and so forth. That there's been little to no action taken on that bill. Uh, they read it twice in the Senate, and then it has been sitting in committee ever since. So we, obviously we know that come after the new year, we will have a new Democrat-controlled U.S. House of Representatives, and there's no way in heck those guys are going to allow a bill like this to, to move forward. And... Um, yeah, so this is the last chance to act on this act, on getting this passed. Uh, I, I, I have to speak truthfully. I'm not super optimistic about this, but I do think it's worthwhile, and I plan to do this. We should be contacting our senators, specifically our senators. We don't, we don't need any more action from the House on this necessarily, unless they need to do some reconciliation, and that needs to also happen before the end of the year, actually specifically really before like the 15th of December, which is when they all go into recess for the holidays. So right now is the last chance. We need the Senate to take action on this. I would encourage you to contact Senator Chuck Grassley, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and your Senate rep- your, your senator from your state or senators. Contact them right away and put the pressure on hopefully hopefully somebody will be listening and will go okay maybe we should actually you know do this cuz it it could be passed this could be passed and signed into law by president trump who he already said he would sign a bill like this he has already made it clear that he is for national reciprocity similar to how driver's licenses are handled on a national level all right so yeah all right moving on kansas a Kansas case shows an emerging tactic in the gun control battle, taking retailers to court. Matthew, give us a quick rundown on what this is about. Yeah, so this is basically another kind of end-around way of uh, trying to legislate guns or, or further uh, restrict guns, possession, and sales um, by going around to the sales half of it um, in lobbying uh, uh, lawsuits against retail or, or the gun manufacturers. So uh, I believe it was in 2004, they passed the law that, um, that kind of protected gun sellers or gun manufacturers mm-hmm. from, uh, from, 
lawsuits uh, stemming from, you know, uh, somebody getting shot and then them, you know, finding out it's a Ruger and they go sue Ruger for manufacturing this gun. Right. Um, so that kind of went out the wall, uh, you know, out, uh, out with that uh, law. However, now they're trying a different tactic by by trying to add culpability to the person that the store that sells the gun um not so because the the manufacturer is protected but the store isn't and they're trying you know because um if they can scare these companies with lawsuits a lot of these companies don't want to go to court and, and litigate these things it costs far too much money and so it's much cheaper to just you know, uh, uh, settle it out of court. Well, what ends up happening is then once, you know, say a big company like Walmart settles something out of court, then all these other lawsuits are going to start popping up and they're going to scare not only Walmart from even thinking about selling a gun or any part of a gun, but every other company is like, man, if Walmart is, is crumbling to this and they don't have the funds, I sure as heck don't have the funds. So you're going to have less and less, ability to purchase firearms and that's kind of the tactic is that we can't ban them there's a second amendment we can't do certain things to legislate them because congress and in the house and and, and the, the laws just won't go through so what can we do we we have to stop uh them to be able to get a hold of it and by doing by scaring companies and they did it through the banking industry through social media and things just kind of you know putting a stranglehold on this uh industry that that is an absolute tactic and if you if you if you know if they don't admit it they're just being disingenuous because it's an absolute tactic um yeah. that they're using to try to control the guns so this is just another one um you know in in the in the the article goes in in depth into uh, exactly how the law works and, and the the facts of the, this specific case but that is the gist of it is uh, kind of an end around to limit access to firearms yeah yep you know that's what's kind of remarkable about situations like this is that the anti-gunners they don't necessarily have to get more gun control legislation passed if they can if they can put the fear into retailers and get retailers to stop selling guns then that that's a win for them so mm -hmm. yeah you you definitely nailed it on the head there now, this is based on a case back in 2014 where a shotgun was purchased by a straw buyer and that was used in a shooting rampage that killed three people at the Jewish community center center and village Shalom retirement community in Overland Park Kansas all right the way this went down is the suspect uh, in in that in that case he went to this Walmart uh, with a basically a friend and they were looking at guns together. Um, it would basically what is what the prosecution is trying to uh, put forth is that hey, uh, they went there and it was clear that the actual buyer was not the guy that bought the gun. Mm -hmm. That the guy that bought the gun was sort of being guided by by this other guy. And it's the other guy that ended up using the shotgun and, and killing those three people. Basically, it sounds like he was not, he was a felon. He was not able to buy a gun for himself or at least go through background check process to do that. So he got this friend to do it for him. He was even to the point he was even supposedly helping his friend fill out the paperwork. Uh, the friend claimed that, oh, I, I am computer illiterate and I need my you know, my, my friend here to guide me through filling out this, this stuff on the computer. Apparently he's using a computer to do this. 
I don't know. What, what do I know? I've never been to a Walmart that had a computer that you filled out paperwork to buy a gun on. But anyway, of course, it's been a while since I've been to a Walmart that had guns for sale, unfortunately. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really exist here in Denver. Um, so that's basically the case. And it was, you know, at the end of the day, it was a straw purchase. Uh, there's a really, there's some really good stuff. If you are an FF, if you are an FFL or a dealer, uh, if you go deeper into the article, they actually share some things I think are really, really good um, advice sort of things mm-hmm. uh, about how to recognize uh, the signs of a straw, straw purchase, how to ask some questions to try to you know elicit responses that might give you that kind of information as to whether this is a legitimate purchase or not. So a pretty, pretty actually well-written article, I thought, in that regard. Moving on to the Chicago Tribune, uh, I, I'm not going to really... I know you put this article in here, Matthew. I'm not going to spend really any time on it. I just want people to go ahead and go read it. This is an article written by John Lott, who is the founder and director or president or whatever of the Crime Prevention Research Center. It's a it's a pretty good article. Uh, he goes in depth on, on a number of things. The title of it is How Gun-Free Zones Invite Mass Shootings. No surprise there for most people. Um, you know, We did some research on this re- recently. As far as the active shooter study, uh, we, we made a kind of a big deal of that, did, did a whole episode about it as well. Um, and I'll just reiterate the fact that most people think that most of these mass shootings occur in gun-free zones, and that's not necessarily the case based on on data, and it's data that we reviewed ourselves. But some of that also depends on how you define a mass shooting. Uh so mass shootings by FBI definition, if I if I remember correctly, I think is where four or more are killed, uh, or maybe it's four or more are shot. That's where it gets confusing because the definition for active shooter is totally different than the definition for a mass shooter or mass shooting. Um, but regardless of that fact, what we do know is that shootings where was it seven or eight or more people die, those by and large occur in gun-free zones. And so to that point and to what John Lott talks about in this article is spot on. All right. So anyway, really good stuff. He, he talks about how, you know, there's this narrative that the U S is unique in this regard, that we're the only country where we have these mass shootings the way we do. But he actually points to some stories and some evidence that that is not actually a, a, a completely accurate uh, narrative. So Excellent article. See it in the show notes. Today's episode show notes available at concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 277. All right. And that's a Chicago Tribune article written by John Lott, How Gun-Free Zones Invite Mass Shootings. Just go check it out. Moving on to the truthaboutguns.com. Uh, Adam's Arms offering 30 round magazines for Tom's Shoes. Last week on the podcast, we talked about uh, how the founder of Tom's Shoes went on the Tonight Show and announced that they are donating, I think it was $5 million to basically, let's be real, anti gun initiatives and, and organizations and legislation. Um, mm-hmm. And so Adam's Arms, uh, maker of quality. Uh, primarily AR-15 rifles, uh, they have responded to that and said, if you send us a pair of Tom's shoes, and Tom's shoes are not necessarily cheap, if you'll send us a pair of your Tom's shoes, we will send you a free 30-round magazine. <laughs> or if you live in a state or jurisdiction where 30-round magazines are illegal, then we'll send you a 10-round uh, magazine. All right? So That's exchange cool. <laughs> uh, shoes for magazines for ARs. I 
highly approve. That is yeah. fantastic. And what they're going to do with the shoes is pretty cool. They're going to uh, doctor them up a little bit with some pro 2A uh, uh, logos and things like that and then give them out to homeless vets and, and stuff. So they're not going yeah. to burn them or anything or throw them in the trash. They're going to actually use them, but they're going to doctor them up. It <laughs> and is I like, awesome. <laughs> I, lo- I like how they the quote uh, they said, but then we thought to ourselves, we should at least make the shoes less hippie. <laughs> so we're <laughs> going to alter them with a pro Second Amendment message and then donate them to several worthy gods is for veterans and impoverished people living in oppressed countries uh, where they do not have the freedoms we cherish. So it's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was an awesome, awesome response. It's you a know? great campaign. Yeah. Uh, it, it makes me want to just go scour the local thrift stores and see if I can find <laughs> pairs of Tom's shoes. Like even if it, you know, like chances are I, I'm somewhat familiar with what thrift, thrift stores would charge for a pair of shoes. Uh, chances are it would still it would not be cost effective as opposed to just going and buying a magazine. But just for the sake of participating, I, and I think that it also goes to a good cause as far as the shoes going to homeless, uh, uh folks, homeless veterans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's obviously a lot more things we could and should be doing, especially for homeless veterans. But, uh, I think that's cool. I think it's worthy. I think it's awesome. You have until January 1st, 2019. So basically the end of the year. Uh, to send in your sh- your Tom's shoes and get a magazine in exchange. So, awesome stuff. Way to go, Adam's Arms. Big time props from us. Guns.com reports fatal Wyoming bear attack, no round in the chamber or ha- on handgun. And we talked about this story a couple episodes ago. Uh, you had a, a hunting guide that took a man out into the wilderness uh, of Wyoming. Uh, there's a lot of grizzly bears there. They were hunting elk with bows. Uh, and you know, that's, that's kind of a vulnerable time. Like you're not going to easily bring down a grizzly bear that charges and attacks you with a bow. Um, and so a lot of times these hunters and or guides will carry, you know, like a, like a, a large revolver or something, uh, you know, as a secondary defensive weapon. Uh, this is bear country. Uh, I've seen it. You know, you, you bring down an animal like an elk or a deer, uh, and chances are you may be awakening the local bear crowd that goes, hmm, I smell dinner. Um, so the story goes that, and there was some details that were a little unclear as to exactly what happened in this bear attack. Uh, it, it just was mentioned that the hunter, event he escaped with his life. The guide was left behind, uh, fighting for, and they were both fighting for their life. And, and so it's clear the hunt, it's not, not like the hunter just, hightailed it and ran and, you know, completely and just left the guide behind. Um, although I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, like that he should be blamed for that, even if that's what he did. I mean, geez, like it's a bear, you know, um, you know, got to watch out for numero uno. But, uh, <laughs> but what was interesting is that the guide is, it was stated had a gun on him and it was actually a 10 millimeter Glock. And that it seemed based on evidence, the scene that, it, there was some attempt to retrieve that, that handgun and use it against the bear, but was unsuccessful. Well, the full report is suggesting and, and showing that now they did, they also tried bear spray and the bear spray was unsuccessful as well. All right. So they tried to get to the gun. The gun was not on either of these men's persons. I think the gun actually belonged to the guide. It was not on his person. It says that it was in a shoulder holster and then it had been removed or it had been taken off while they were dressing the elk. Okay. It did not have a round in the chamber. 
So it would seem that he tried to get to the gun and either was just unable to get to the gun because it wasn't on him or got to the gun but was unable to use it in time because a round needed to be chambered. And or there was some other issue that took place because it's actually noted here that the magazine with the ammunition was found in a different location than what the gun was. What I can tell you, and Matthew, I think you'll back me up on this, is that there are documented instances of people in really high-stress situations that do really funky things, Mm -hmm. including thinking they're going to grab and... And, and maybe in his, and it could be as simple as in his mind, he goes, I know I need to chamber around, but that translates to motion in his hand as remove magazine from gun. Like he may have just, just had a total mental block and, and without realizing or thinking, hit the magazine release. And because of that, it may have been too late. Like, oh, magazine is out of the gun and the bear's on you, right? Yeah. So, yeah, or he squeezes the trigger, nothing happens, and he's like, uh, and, and he starts to like go into some sort of like, what do I do? Like, I've never practiced, you know, black, stoppages. Basically. Yeah, and he pulls out the magazine to like see, what, do I have, ammo, you know, ammunition in the magazine? And, and then by then it's like the bears on him, and he's, you know, yep. so yeah, that's a dude, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with bears at all, man. It's <laughs> crazy. Well, I, I grew up in bear country, and uh, I think bears are, are, Magnificent creatures uh, that must be respected, and you know. But this story is is it's it's tragic and it's sad. So often we look at you know. There's that great debate: Do I carry around in the chamber or not? And we usually look at it from the perspective of, well, you know, in a in a in a deadly encounter on the street, you you may not have time to rack that round into the chamber, or you might only have one hand, or you know, whatever it is, right? But this is a unique story because this is a defense uh you know against a bear against an animal and you know what a lot of the same principles still apply if that gun's not ready to be used you know that's yeah. a problem i mean if it's important enough for you to take it out there then it's important enough for it to be ready to be used and so it does no good taking it out there and it's not ready to be used i mean we don't have to be the dead horse, you know. It's yep. it's gonna be ready to be used, man. You know, oh, this guy carried tragic. this gun obviously for a reason. He carried it. I, you know, mm-hmm. it's a ten millimeter, so he, which is it's a pretty stout, you know, round. It's a pretty stout gun. Uh, he carried it for defensive use. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in the back of his mind, he's got to be thinking, you know, I'm taking this because I might need to use it. So that aspect's there. But then doesn't have the gun in a in a condition where it's actually ready to be used immediately. And I know that there are people that would think, oh, you know, I, I they, they, they I think people trick themselves into thinking that they have almost like a, I think this perfect picture in their mind of how a situation would play out. But the reality is, rarely do situations play out the way we have it pictured in our mind. Mm-hmm. Right? Crap goes really bad, really fast. And so in his mind, he might be thinking, you know, I don't need to carry it around chambered because if I need to use it, I'll just pull it out and chamber around. But clearly it didn't work out here. So there's no reason if you got a gun in a holster and it was in a holster, it said there's no reason not to have it chambered and ready to be used immediately. Moving on, Fox News. Man dies after being shot while checking safety of neighbor's property. Suspect at large. A Southern California man who was shot at least eight times while checking an elderly neighbor's property after reports of burglars in the neighborhood died from his injuries on on Thanksgiving evening, unfortunately. About a week, and he's a father. Uh, after About a week after the shooting, 
according to reports. Patrick Smith, age 41, of Barstow, California, married father of a young boy. He appeared to be pulling through after being hospitalized for his injuries, but unfortunately had a, a setback and did pass away from his injuries. Basically what happened is, you know, so when I first read this story, Matthew, I was like, boy, this sounds like that story I think we talked about last week in uh, episode 275. Maybe it was 273. We recently had a story where two neighbors went over to a house to investigate something going mm -hmm. on, right? I'm like, wow, this sounds it's like the same story. But in this case, actually, the neighbor asked him to come over and assist in the system. Um, and, and he was just trying to be a, a good guy. So there was some sort of situation. Yeah. These, these boys, there were several of these boys. They were ages like 15 to 17. The, the suspect that actually fired the shots was 18. And, uh, you know, they had tried to, I think it was break into this neighbor's home. He called his, his neighbor this 41-year-old man, Patrick Smith, to come over, and it's a, it's an elderly female neighbor. So clearly he's just being a good guy, trying yeah. to help his elderly female neighbor who is at risk and at, at, at a disadvantage to come over and just help her make sure everything's okay. He comes over, and unfortunately, uh, as he's checking the property in the backyard, he is shot by that 18-year-old kid eight times. Yeah, it's terrible, man. And, and there's in the story, it doesn't say anything about him being armed. Uh, the guy who went over there to be checked, you know, the yeah. the, the man he was to see. So, um, well, this you know, is California too. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 not Texas, right? Right. So, so, yeah, and that's the thing. And you know, it's it struggles because you know you can say, well, he shouldn't have been going over there and looking around. But truthfully, man, like. Uh, we all have like a lot of us carry because we we're concerned about protecting life and we, we want to protect not just our own, but we have that duty to kind of like protect others, right? They can't protect themselves. So, you know, this guy gets a call that like, Hey, can you go help your, your neighbor? Um, there was a report of like, you know, burglars in the area or, you know, the police were chasing somebody or looking around and he's like, you know what, I'll go over there. Um, not really anticipating or understanding the, the, you know, we all kind of minimize um, the damage that can be done to us. We kind of think that we're like invincible at times um, or we downplay the potential hazards that we're, we're going into. Um, and, and it's just natural. But this is a, a great, you know, cautionary kind of tale as far as you never know what the other person is willing to do to get away. And these kids are you know, 17, 18 years old, I mean, you would never think that they're going to shoot an unarmed guy who's just walking in the person's yard to go check. But they, you know, you never know what people are willing to do to get away. So um, it's just, it's terrible. I feel, you know, really bad for the, this family who's yeah. going through this on Thanksgiving and stuff. But, uh, you know, we just got to always be, be aware and, and try to forethink in a situation like this where you have the opportunity to, to, to not just rush into something, but think about like, hey, there are, there is actually like burglars, you know, in the area. Burglars sometimes carry burglary tools. It could be a it could be a screwdriver or pry bar and stuff. Those are weapons. I mean, you you stick somebody in the heart with the with the Phillips tip screwdriver, that's gonna kill them, yeah. right? No no different than a gun or or a knife. Oh, so man. You know, Dude, think about that stuff. You just reminded me. If you ever seen that video, I know it's like I'm totally getting sidelined here. I know exactly what you're talking. The video of, the, of this in guy. In that train station. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's oh, like that's how fast it can happen for a person, yep. right? Like you're in some yeah. sort of disagreement, altercation, whatever. And, folks, you probably don't know what we're talking about, but there's this video. 
And, uh, and they look like, I think they're like kind of two older guys. Yeah. It looks like, you know, Eastern European country or something like that. Like, and they're sitting there having a conversation. You can tell they're agitated one or the Uh, other. And one of them pulls out a, it looks like a, maybe a screwdriver, like a Phillips screwdriver. And and it just goes to town and you can see it like hitting the, the the breastbone and just like puncturing through. It's just, it's, Oh, it's sick, man. And it just happens that, I mean, I think he only goes like two or three times. He's like, bam, bam, bam. And he gets up and walks away. And I'll tell you that dude sitting there is like, at first is like, uh, like what just happened? And then realizes, Mm -hmm. I'm dying, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, yeah. Okay, anyway, (laughs) uh, back on track. Uh, Yeah, I'm just really sorry for this family and for this man. Uh, uh, He was trying to do, you know, a service, and it cost him his life. Uh, Be alert, be ready, be well-trained, carry your gun, right? Mm -hmm. And perhaps maybe don't go check out those noises or those bumps in the night. Um, You know, you gotta, you gotta, gotta use your brain. You got to be smart about things. Uh, listen to that, you know, to that gut of yours. You know, if something just doesn't quite feel right, and you might just—that's the scary thing in, the, in today's world. I know you understand this fully, Matthew. But uh, you, you might see a situation and go, "These are just kids," but kids are murdering people, unfortunately, all the time mm-hmm. in, in this country. So don't don't get fooled into thinking that just because they're kids that that you're not at risk. No. Louisville, Kentucky, WLKY.com. Robbery suspect shows up in University Hospital with a gunshot wound. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, I had to, I had to read this story like three times, like fully like grasp exactly what's yeah. going on. Yeah. So basically what happens is uh, in an alley behind some stores, uh, behind a liquor store specifically, uh, this, this this guy, this victim, he, he's the one, he ends up going to the hospital. He was being held at gunpoint by his vehicle by two men. According to police, the victim was trying to pull his gun from its holster to defend himself when he was shot by the robbery suspects. Police said that the victim then fired several shots at the suspects as they tried to run away and called 911 for help. A short time later, one of the suspects arrived at University Hospital with a gunshot wound, so he did hit one of them. Um so, and then authorities said the man who drove the shooting victim to the hospital, uh, told his friend, told police his friend was shot behind the liquor store. Okay. So, uh, so apparently this man was not alone. Or at least he had a friend, uh, nearby that was able to, to help him out and get him to the hospital in quick order. So basically to break it down, man behind liquor store next to his vehicle is approached by two men. They have a gun. They try to rob him or carjack him or whatever it is. And, this, the language here is really interesting, Matthew. It says, quote, was trying to pull his gun from its holster to defend himself when he was shot. Yeah, normally, end quote. yeah, normally we don't get that much detail, right? Like it just says like guy shot back at, you know, at Robert or whatever. But this actually specifically says that he was actively trying to get to his gun when he was shot. Yeah, which is which is, you know, it it goes back to the, you know, the comment is drawing on a drawn gun. Sometimes it has to be done. Sometimes, you know, compliance works. Sometimes you judge the scene. You say, if I comply, I'm dead. Um, Sometimes you judge a scene and say, like, I got to wait for a window of opportunity. So I'm going to comply to a certain point and then I'm going to go for my gun when that opportunity presents itself. Um, But like like we were talking about before. 
plan these things and go through rehearse like you know what would i do if i couldn't get to my gun you know you might have a sub one second draw but i guarantee you if somebody has a, a gun pointed at you the amount of time it takes them to recognize what you're doing and pull the trigger is less than the the, the quickest draw and you know time to first shot than, than anybody you know you could get to yep. so it's like um you know, think about those things. Like if somebody has a gun and I can't get to my gun first, what are techniques that I can do to, um, show compliance, but also at the same time position myself. So I'm in a position where I can get to my gun and use it. Or, you know, what am I going to do if I, I have a draw, I'm on, uh, you know, somebody has a drawn gun on me and I have to get to my gun. What can I do? Do I, yeah. you know, move in and try to, you know, uh, uh, maybe strike the person as I'm drawing or, or do some, you know, think about those things because when it happens, you, you're not going to be able to think about it. You're going to have to say, this is my plan. I'm going with it and, and, and get that plan in action. So this is, this is just a, a quick little story, but there's so much just from that one little line, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other thing I, I kind of took from this is that, you know, this was my thought process was, yeah, obviously there's the lesson of don't draw on a drawn gun, but is this also a case where if this man had been well-practiced or his technique or his fundamentals were really solid, maybe he, you know, would he maybe have been able to get that gun out quickly enough and use it? it you know, just, it was another thought, like how many of us or, or you listening, I'll tell you, I, I, I practice because it's really easy to do. I practice on a daily basis drawing my gun. Minimum 10 reps, probably more like 20 or 30 on a daily basis because it only takes a few minutes. And I'll tell you, it makes a big difference. You, you get to a point where you have great confidence in knowing how to get to that gun, how to draw that gun, how to clear your garments, uh, all that. You know, you're just able to do it so much more smoothly uh, because you're practicing it regularly. It's not that you need thousands of reps tomorrow or next month. It's that you need thousands of reps divided up by 20 or 30 a day over like years you mm -hmm. do that and you know it just makes me wonder like it, this i could totally see this because i know people that are in this boat that never have probably tried or practiced to draw their gun especially under any sort of element of stress and i could you know i'll tell you what the first time you've seen it i've seen it you take a brand new student you know they they, they may have even grown up around guns they may even be a pretty good shooter as far as marksmanship is concerned, but the first time you have someone try to draw from a holster with any sort of stress, and I'll tell you, even the little bit, of, littlest amount of stress, because for instance, Matthew, we don't take students and say, I want you to do a build drill right now, and it's the first time they've ever drawn from a holster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be dumb. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and, and a recipe for disaster. We don't do that. It's enough stress the first time that someone's like, you know, trying to figure that all out. Oh, I got to actually get this garment out of the way. Or I, you know, like there's enough stress there just trying to do it for the first time. Uh, and we make sure the students go slowly, right? By the numbers initially. Okay. Like this is how you draw from a holster methodically, slowly, surely. So, um, yeah, anyway, let's get on now to it, well, one oh, other thing ahead. before we move on. Just one more thing I wanted to point out about this is the fact that, this guy was actually shot and he didn't give up. You know, he, he was shot and he still continued to fight and say, mm. you know what, I'm going to fight back. Um, he didn't give up and say, oh, I'm shot. I'm done. He knew that, 
you know, he, that those people were still a threat, even though it says that he shot as they tried to run away. I, I don't know, you know, they could have been running away with the gun pointed at him or, or whatnot, but he still obviously felt like his life was, you know, uh, in peril right there. So, yeah. but like never give up, don't give up no matter your, if you're injured or not, because if you give up, you're surely not going to survive. So if you're injured and you don't, and you, and you give up, you're, you're not going to survive. If you, you're injured and you sink, continue to fight at least you give yourself a chance to survive you may not but it, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna go out giving your life to somebody uh don't give it up you know make them yep. take it if that's what they're gonna do well yeah you're you're absolutely right my mindset is mm-hmm. so key and frankly in the hierarchy of things it's more important than skills it's more important than tactics even it's more important than the gear you carry your your mind is your number one most important weapon and keeps you alive. Cause once the mind has given up, once you have given up, you're, you're out, you're done for, right? It doesn't matter how good of a shooter you are. It doesn't matter how good your gear is. It doesn't matter how solid your knowledge of tactics are. If, if up here and here, the heart and the mind, if that, and not our physical heart, our, our will, our desire, all that stuff, if that, is is over with then you are done and over with mm-hmm. okay good thoughts man thanks so much uh the chronicle chronicle com is the site this is illyria i think this was in also in georgia yeah. wasn't it ohio illyria ohio. oh that's right I, was, I knew it sounded familiar uh so this is probably not too far from you <clears throat> no not too far yeah it's southern cleveland um yeah. not too far from Cleveland. so cool cool well, why don't you tell us a story? Grandma fires at would-be robber. Yeah, this now this is a very confusing. I'm going to put the link in, in the notes, but this is a very confusing story. Basically, what you have is you have a, a couple um, people that come to this to this house, uh, or uh, this one guy that comes to this house, um, and it's occupied by this old lady. Um, there, there's there's a, there's three other people or there's two other people i believe her and two other people in the home um people come to the the guy comes to the door she tells him to leave um points a gun at the guy he kind of refuses to leave then he he starts to walk away and then stops and is still kind of like menacing her she has a she has a firearm she pulls her firearm uh, i believe it's a they they uh uh they didn't say what she had, I don't believe, but uh, uh, it did later on that she grabbed a thirty eight caliber revolver. Okay. Yeah, she had a thirty eight caliber, okay, and, and he had the the suspect who who was at, like kind of menacing them, uh had a nine millimeter high point. Um so and so basically Classic. the re- <laughs> right. And, and you know, high point is made in in Ohio, so it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not too bad. So um but like so so basically why this is in the do not do this or what not to do segment is while the guy is kind of leaving, she fires around to the ground like a warning shot like, hey, I'm serious. Get away. And so the guy like is like, hey, don't shoot. I'm, I'm leaving. But he continues to like kind of like, you know, kind of posture and things like that. So she fires like a few more times into the ground. The the the. the article is very confusing and very like kind of comical to read almost you know based on the situation nobody ends up getting hurt and this guy gets arrested and they find that that he had the, the high point which is you know comical in itself um but 
but yeah, it's just, that's why we kind of, you know, we always throw these, what not to do. Like you don't need to shoot fire warning shot. The guy is leaving. It doesn't matter if he's armed or not. Like she didn't know that he was armed. So that didn't even factor into her perception or why she fired. It didn't say like, Oh, I saw a gun. So I fired into the ground because if he was pointing a gun at her, why would you fire into the ground? Right? So that didn't factor into why she fired. She fired because she wanted to like, well, I'm putting my foot down type thing, you know, like I'm, I mean it, you know? And so, you know, let's not do that kind of stuff. Yeah, for so. sure. <laughs> yeah. Obviously the warning shot fired into the air, you know, and, uh, the thing that really jumped out at me besides the points that you've already touched on is that when police first, you know, there was a police officer, a marked unit, already like he heard the shots so he's close enough to hear the shots so he responds and he so he's there very quickly and it says that he met with three alleged victims and they said that a white male wearing a black hoodie and blue jeans tried to rob them fired several shots at them and then ran west and what's interesting is it seems like the story changed. If you, at least the way this article reads, because mm-hmm. then later it it comes out that the lady there at the home fired at the bad guy, but it doesn't seem that he ever fired at them. So exactly. Don't don't lie to, you know don't 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 lie to investigators. It's, it's not good for your case, right? It's like <laughs> you don't have to lie if you're doing something right. If you did something even in the least bit suspect such as firing a warning shot in the air, I'm sorry, in some jurisdictions, that can get you charged, mm-hmm. right? Well, you are more likely to get charged. Uh, you are less likely to get some sort of discretion from a prosecutor if you do other crap like lie to them about what happened. And that's kind of what seemed like happened here. So yeah. lots of, you know, this is in the what not to do sort of segment, and uh, those are some really good things that you should not do. Absolutely. <laughs> They're not good things that you should not do. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. Justified save story. Chicago man with concealed carry shoots teen after boy pulled gun on him. Uh, this happened in uh, the south or northwest side. I was going to say south side where a lot of crap does happen, but this was actually on the northwest side of Chicago. Uh, a man was, it was Wednesday morning, about 8.30 a.m. So this is daylight, right? And a 17-year-old boy and 42-year-old man were arguing in uh, – they were were in vehicles. So the boy got out of his vehicle and made threats at the man while trying to yank a handgun from the waistband of his pants. And this is according to witnesses. People saw this happening. The 42-year-old man who who has a concealed carry gun license, according to the article here, uh, fox32chicago.com, grabbed his handgun and shot the 17-year-old. 17-year-old boy was taken to to the hospital. He was stabilized. Uh, he's going to be okay, it would seem. His weapon was recovered at the scene. So this is pretty intense. I mean, but here's the thing, right? I just talked a minute ago about the importance of mindset. And part of that mindset has got to be the desire to avoid confrontation. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on here. You know, it could have been completely legitimate that this man was um, – you know, exchanging words with this with this seventeen year old kid. Uh, we don't know what it was about, though, right? Uh, what we do know, though, is things escalate very quickly, and this young man tries to it says he's trying to yank a handgun from the waistband of his pants. Uh, fortunately, this is also another case where it would seem that the kid 
was not well practiced or probably wasn't using very quality gear, uh, <clears throat> holster. Uh, and he was, so the boy was slow to get his gun out and that enabled the concealed carrier to get his out and defend himself. And, and rightfully so judging uh, by the facts as we have them here. Right. And we don't, we don't know if the, the guy who shot actually was in his vehicle or out. We're assuming that True. he got out of the vehicle too. Um, which is all the more reason why you have, you carry your gun on you, even if you're in the vehicle. Yeah. Don't put it on a weapon or, you know, uh, uh, put it in the car because you get out of the car. Now you got to reach back in or you're fumbling around and you get out of the car and you have it in your hand. Um, it, it, you know, so this is a, I'm a, a with good, you there, bro. Yeah. This is a good reason why you keep your firearm on you, even when you're driving. Um, and so, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it's actually turned out okay for the guy. He actually drew quicker than the other guy, probably because, like he said, maybe a, a difference of training or, or gear and, and a, 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 you know, a number of factors. But he ultimately survived so or prevailed on that one. But make sure, you know, you don't you don't go to draw your firearm as a sign to kind of like de-escalate the situation as well, because imagine the are both concealed carriers. This, they're arguing. One guy gets out like, hey, man, you better back off. I got a gun. And he goes to like pull it out of his out of his waistband not to use it because he's not justified to use it. But he's trying to, you know, quell the situation because, you know, he's got a firearm. And the other guy's a concealed carrier. And he sees you drawing a gun he's not going to wait till it gets out i mean he's got his own gun he's going to draw on you so a yep. couple couple things we can learn about that one yeah absolutely another story here wptv.com woman kills boyfriend in self-defense shooting now every time i come across stories like this matthew it just is like wow like i i, I can't even imagine you know this is essentially a loved one you know someone you care about uh things have to get really bad for you to, I think, you know, pull out a gun and, and, and kill someone you care about, right? Yeah. Um, this happened on Sunday. A woman shot and killed her boyfriend in self-defense, according to, to uh, Martin County Sheriff. This is down in Florida. Uh, police said in a news conference on Monday that 46, a 46-year-old woman went to a home on Sunday to get her car keys from her boyfriend because she thought he was driving intoxicated. So it sounds like the boyfriend took the girlfriend's car, went somewhere, uh, for some reason, I'm, I'm assuming they exchanged some text messages or a phone call or something happened and she, she was led to believe that he's too intoxicated to drive her car back home or whatever it is. So she went over there to get the keys. Apparently he didn't like that. He came after her with a big rock, tried to throw it at her head. It's also stated further down the story that, uh, he, tr- he threw a, a pail and a large lawn ornament at her. Now, fortunately, he missed her, but uh, as he came at her with a big rock, uh, she felt that she, her life was endangered, so she drew and fired uh, her gun one time and uh, hit him in the chest, uh, and he died on the scene. Her boyfriend did. She tried to perform CPR. Can you imagine that? Like, you just defended yourself against your boyfriend, and now you've shot him, so you've successfully defended yourself, but now immediately you're like, I still love you and I'm going to try to save you and do CPR. And unfortunately it was uh, uh, too, too late for him. Yeah. It, it, the, the thing I liked or the thing I, I stuck out for me with this is um, that she shot him and it was a totality of the circumstances that in the end, the sheriff's 
like kind of basically say on scene, hey, based on the evidence that we have here, unless something else happens, this is a totally cut and dry self-defense uh, claim based on the totality, even though he didn't have a knife, he didn't have a gun, he missed her with both of the objects he threw. And then she says, um, having missed with two projectiles, he then advanced on her with his hands out intending to choke her. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, so somebody just intends to choke you or comes out with your hand, their hands like this, it's going to be kind of hard to articulate like that they were going to choke you or that you believe that they were going to you know, do harm unless there's, you know, a totality of circumstances like the dude's drunk. He's obviously enraged. He's tried to hit me with, you know, deadly weapons, bricks and, and, you know, things like that. At that point, yes, you know, even though he's unarmed, he still poses a, a threat of death or serious bodily injury. So um, yeah. I think this is a perfect example of like articulation of the facts is what makes the case not the fact that like well i shot him in self-defense well what happened he was he wasn't armed but you know i thought he was gonna hurt me well how why what what led up to this and the whole totality paints a picture that says yes a reasonable person would believe that this dude if he got a hold of her given what he had already done was going to cause some damage to her yeah and so uh totally justified she gets down tries to do cpr um but you know you, you start cpr and you just squirt more blood out if it's already, yep. you know, there's not much you can do. So, yep. Tragic case, uh, you know, but, uh, in uh, one shot she, with she, a nine mil. Yeah. One shot. That was it. I, th- I thought that only applied to 45s. Well, you know, the, the nine one millimeter shot hasn't won any world wars yet. <laughs> okay. KRCRTV.com. MC, this is, uh, Mendocino, California. That's right. This is in California. And a uh, homeowner shoots suspect after finding him sleeping on the couch. This is, a, this is a, there's several really interesting stories here today. This one's interesting because the homeowner comes home around 3 a.m. last Wednesday. So it's late. It's really early in the morning or really late, whichever way you want to look at it. He comes home at 3 a.m., finds that his home has been basically ransacked and vandalized and that the man... This is the suspect is asleep on his couch, right? Now we don't know exactly what happened there, but it says here that after the victim found Davis lying on the couch, deputies say Davis ambushed. Davis, by the way, is the bad guy. Sorry. So, so the victim, the homeowner finds this man named Davis lying on the couch asleep. Davis then ambushes the, the homeowner by hitting him over the head with a large book. But they add that the victim had armed himself with a handgun, firing shots at Davis's arm and upper torso area, and uh, then he held him at gunpoint until deputies arrived to arrest him. Uh, the suspect was uh, treated and is going to be okay. Uh, so uh, I, this is this is how I have to make sense of it, Matthew, because I'm like, okay, homeowner comes home, finds suspect asleep on his couch, but then, it, and and then there's a space, so there's no other details between that and now homeowners hit over the head by large book by suspect. So what yeah. I think may have happened is I'm re- really reading into this: is homeowner finds a, a sleeping, you know, uh, burglar basically, then goes to his bedroom, be a likely scenario, grabs his gun. And while he's trying to retrieve that and he's, you know, he's now stepped away from this couch area, 
the bad guy now comes up and, you know, surprises him and attacks him perhaps from behind or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so the lesson learned, you know, assuming that's kind of how it played out, I know I'm really reading into it, but that's, you know, that's just one possible scenario that makes sense based on the facts as we read them. Be aware of your surroundings and be aware of, you know, don't let somebody sneak up on you. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, just get out of the house. I know it's your yeah. house, but like you just discovered a sleeping man. And it could have also been a situation too where the homeowner retreated to, you know, the a bedroom or something and was trying to call 911, but stayed inside the house. Either way, the homeowner stayed in a place I think that he probably should not have been. Yeah. I, I can't tell you. I mean, I, I've responded. It might be just because I worked, you know, East County where meth is like prevalent, <laughs> but like, I can't tell you how many times I got calls where people are like, Hey, I just got home and there's a naked dude that's sleep on my couch and my home is trashed. And it's like, okay, because what, you know, somebody breaks in, they're high on meth, they're, they're looking for whatever, they don't know what they're looking for, they're in there, they're binging, they're up, and then they crash, and they're, they're on your couch, and you get home, and they're like, well, what do you want me to do, I have a gun, you know, or what, this, and it's like, hey, dude, just get out of your house, go to a safe spot, we'll get there, and we'll go handle it, and as soon as you wake these guys up, there's, you know, they, they can have one or two, like sometimes they just wake up and they're like, dude, like what's going on? And the other times they wake up and they're just like ready to fight and you don't know which one you're going to get. And so, um, you know, you always tell them, Hey, you know, if, if you're not in immediate danger, if you walk in and the dude jumps up and charges you, yeah, you know, you know, you have the right to shoot him. But, um, but if you walk in there and they're dead asleep and you look around, you don't know how many people, I mean, there could be three or four, you go to the back room and all of a sudden, you know, those dudes are, you know, already awake or they're tweaked out. And, you know, so you don't want to walk into a dangerous situation that you don't understand, or you don't know exactly what's around the corner. So I would just say, you know, I would always say, you know, tell them this, get out of the house, like make sure they're, let, let them go to their neighbor's house, stand up front, we'll get there and meet us, you know? And so like, do that, like, Go to someplace safe, call the police, be like, there's some dude in my house. This guy looks like Tristan Thompson of the Cleveland Cavs, by the way, if you look him up. You know, <laughs> but like, you know, there's some dude on my on my couch. He trashed my house. I don't know who he is. Can you guys come over here and get him out of here and, you know, let them fight and taser him and, and you know, let them do it. Yeah. You don't have to. That way you don't have to get involved and, uh, you know, have an issue like that. But yeah. Yeah, it happens. It does. It this definitely happens. As what well, as crazy as it sounds, it 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 happens quite a bit. Yeah. Although this is uh, Mendocino, which is that's a nice yeah nice area. I mean yeah. It, it's not. It, it's yeah. I mean, I, I, it yeah. It's a nice nice place. Nice area. Yeah. Uh, right right there by the coast. Uh, really 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 pretty area. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our stories for uh, this episode, episode 277. Once again, show notes found at concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 277. I did want to give a little update before I let you all go that I wanted to congratulate and also really from the bottom of my heart, thank everyone that has um, donated to the GoFundMe that I promoted a couple of episodes ago uh, for the uh, man, Jacob Clymer, who um, was killed trying to defend himself and his wife in a transaction that went wrong as he was trying to meet a, a, a young boy, a 15, like I think it was a 15 or 16 year old kid uh, that was supposedly going to buy his Xbox. 
this man was trying to sell stuff so he could uh, afford to move his family to Texas where they would have a little bit lower cost of living and, and he'd be a little bit more able to provide for his family. Unfortunately, he was killed over a stupid Xbox. He was a concealed carrier, um, was carrying a gun, tried to – he actually drew out his gun and hesitated. Uh, it, 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 he actually tried to talk the boy you know, down from – robbing him and, and doing anything else. And unfortunately this young kid shot him. Um, anyway, there's a GoFundMe for his family or yeah, for his wife and for his kids, uh, especially his, his little, uh, uh, I think two year old or three year old daughter, little, little kid. Um, I talked with his wife, uh, last week, I think it was. And she was very grateful for, uh, all the support. Uh, folks, I just, like I said, I wanted to give you an update. When we, uh, when I first started promoting this campaign, uh, not to, you know, give myself a pat on the back, just, I, this is really all for all of you. Uh, when we started really getting after this, uh, the, uh, go, they had a goal of $5,000. That's really to cover, uh, funeral or memorial, uh, expenses. Um, they were in a, pretty dire situation financially. Uh, this was a really life-changing event uh, in, a, in a variety of ways for this family. And they were at uh, $3,860 of that $5,000 goal. I'm happy to report that uh, we are now at $5,355. Since we started promoting this, it's $1,495 that has been raised. That's incredible. So, um Bravo and kudos yeah. to uh, all our wonderful podcast listeners and others that have contributed to this campaign. I, I thank you all from the bottom of my heart. And uh, as I mentioned, I, I spoke with his widow, and she is indeed very, very thankful to everyone that's uh, that's assisted. So, uh, if you'd still like to, um, you know, this campaign's still going on. Yes, we've met the goal, but surely anything above and beyond this would be helpful to this to this uh, young family. You can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Jacob Clymer. It's just a real simple short link. Uh, this It just redirects you to GoFundMe. Uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash Jacob Clymer. That's J-A-C-O-B-C-L-Y-M-E-R. Uh, if you'd like to consider donating, even if it's just a dollar, it'll be helpful. Uh, a lot of folks have done like $5 or $10 or whatever. It's just a small amount. It's the holidays. This family's life's been completely upended. Uh, any small donation I know would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, everyone. A reminder to uh, head on over to the App Store and download the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. If you just go to whatever app store you use to get your apps, just search. Use the search feature and type in Concealed Carry Gun Tools. And if you can't remember that, just type Concealed Carry, and it'll be like in the top four or five results. But make sure it's the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app with our hexagon-shaped logo. And uh, that's that's the one you want where you'll get notifi- notifications on or around the 9th of December to get signed up for our 12 Days of Christmas giveaway. It's going to be awesome. With that, we thank you all. Thank you, Matthew, for being a part of this episode with me, even though it was so late for you. Man, thanks for having me as usual. Yeah, man. We'll have to do it again, just maybe not quite so late. So uh, with that, folks, thanks again, everyone. A reminder to you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.
that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.